Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello, welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Well, today we'll be teaching on the book of James, chapter 5. We'll be finishing out the book of James with this final chapter, chapter 5. I'm reading, as usual, from the New International Version of the Bible. So let's get started. I'm reading James, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corro- corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. This indictment from James is not against rich people in general. God is not condemning wealth. He's condemning wicked rich people, those who exploit others to increase their wealth. James spoke prophetically about their future destruction and and their ruin. Their faith was certain because of the dastardly way that they had been treating their workers. They had exploited them, wouldn't pay them, um, forced them to do hard labor, and and just didn't consider their needs. They spent their whole lives pursuing pleasure at the expense of other people these rich people had. And so they were able to amass their, their wealth by corrupt and immoral means, by injustices, by uh, uh, mistreating their workers, they worked their laborers without pay, and and there was no room or consideration for God in their thoughts in, and and in their lives. So James is condemning them for their conduct, for their their not just having wealth, but the way that they got wealth and the way that they use wealth, and uh, uh, their lust for more and more wealth. Well, they didn't uh, realize it, but the very wealth that they accumulated, taking advantage of the poor, would be the evidence that God would use to condemn them in hell. Um, The riches that they enjoyed for that brief period of time called a lifespan, the clothes and the houses and the material things that they acquired, uh, James said, would decay and become moth-eaten and that their their riches, their gold and silver would canker and eat their flesh. So this is certainly metaphorical language. God, is, uh, James is using this uh, in, uh, in, in a comparative way uh, to illustrate the uh, suffering that these rich people are going to have to endure because of the way that they treat the poor. Now, we may look at rich people today, and again, it's not wrong to have wealth. For those who exploit the poor, take advantage of the poor, amass their wealth 
off the back of the poor and off the suffering of the poor, they're going to suffer for that. And uh, we shouldn't um, envy the, the, the wicked, wealthy people. Uh, we shouldn't fret ourselves because of evildoers, because the Bible lets us know that, that uh, their day is coming. Uh, let's trust God. He is, a, he is the judge. We're not the judge. He is. James looked at their situation from God's perspective and, and measured time by eternity. Sometimes we look at just the now. As we get older, we realize how temporal this life is. Relative to eternity, the few years of time that these corrupt planters and landowners lived on earth was just a flash in the pan. Their time of flourishing by evil means is just like a, it's like a few seconds in the whole scheme of things. And uh, these uh, seconds quickly pass and then people pass into eternity. Every generation, some uh, a, a generation of people die and go in to meet God, and uh, they have to pay for the for the things that they did in the earth. Now, those who are exploiting people have to pay. Those who are in the past, those are slave owners, people who own slaves in, in this country, in America, and around the world, who enslaved people and got rich, mass wealth off off their backs. Uh, we can be assured that if they died in those sins and then turn from them and repent and turn to Jesus Christ, they're paying for that now. Um, their, their suffering is going on now. They're in a place called hell, which is just a holding prison, a holding pen uh, that holds them until the resurrection. And then they'll be called out of there. They'll be judged by God uh, and then thrown into a worse place called the lake of fire. So um, we have to trust God's judgment. When we see the rich exploiting the poor, when we see all the inequities and all the injustice in the world. Yes, God wants us to do what we can to right those situations, to speak out against injustice, to stand against it. Uh, but it, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, he is the one that's going to have the final say, and he is the one that's going to, to judge this situation. And people aren't getting away with what they do. Um, Victims of oppression and gross injustice may, may think that there's no justice. We're tempted to uh, envy those who ignore God's wisdom and uh, ignore God's way and, and do things the quick, corrupt, short way. It's, it seems like they're getting away, but they're not getting away. From this limited earthly vantage point, it appears that the, the wicked are being rewarded for their cruelty, but they're not. They pay for it. and Everybody has to die. It is, once it is appointed unto man to die, human beings to die, and after that, the judgment. So the judge is standing at the door, and those who don't get right, get that thing right with God before they depart this earth, will have to face him. Okay. God often allows the wicked to live lavish lives and to will power over others. He He, he allows, he, he reigns on the, the just and the unjust. But he will judge those things in the end. People who do that won't get away. There's a man named Asaph in the uh, 73rd Division of Psalms. And he records his struggle uh, with this uh, idea of uh, this issue of injustice. He was looking at the rich and it looked like they were getting over like fat cats. It looked like they had no trouble in their lives and everything was going their way. And 
and uh, every, everything that they did turned out right. And, and he looked at his situation and the situation of other people who were trying to follow God's law and trying to live right and to do the right thing. And it looked like they were just being exploited and uh, seemed like they were finishing last, like nothing was going right. So like it wasn't paying off to live right and to obey God. It looked like the, the payoff really went to those who, who followed the devil and lived corrupt lives. And, and then he says, and then I went into the sanctuary. God opened up and allowed him to see the end. He allowed them to see, he allowed Asaph to see what happens to, to people after they die. And, uh, and he repented um, of his doubts. He repented of his struggles. He said, Lord, you've set them in slippery places. Uh, and he got himself straight. He didn't envy the wicked anymore after that. He realized uh, that they were to be pitied and not envied. So that's the way life looks like in this world sometimes. It looks unbalanced. It looks like the rich are getting away with everything. The corrupt are getting away with everything. They're not getting away with anything. God is the judge. And we demonstrate faith when we trust that he's going to make things right. The Bible says the kingdom is going to be given to the saints of the Most High, and we will rule forever and ever. That's a fact. I believe it, and I set my life upon it. Okay, Those who live wicked lives and don't come to a place of repentance in their lives, um, they'll find themselves sliding right into destruction, and it'll be like waking up. Uh, out of a sleep. They've been sleeping the, the good sleep and they're going to wake up into a nightmare. So that's what's happening. And so we shouldn't fret because of evildoers. David understood this. He understood the tendency uh, that we might have to fret because of injustices that we see around us. We see racial injustice. We see economic injustice. We see inequality. We see people who are living off the wealth that they're that their slave master ancestors accumulated in this life. And we see that those who are the ancestors of slaves are still struggling, don't have full rights and full freedoms that other people have uh, in, this, in this country. In the whole scheme of the whole world, there are people uh, who have done wrong and, and uh, exploited people, and the people are still reeling from that. And it was the same in David's day. In Asaph's day, and here's what David said about that. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. That's Psalms 37, 1 through uh, 3. So God is in control, and we just trust him to make it all turn out right. Now, verses 7 and 8. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rain. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. So, James shared in the suffering of those who were poor and powerless and under the oppression from the rich. He understood that succeeding in this struggle would require faith and patience. 
and continuing in the struggle until the day of reward requires faith to believe that God is just and that he keeps his promises. It also requires the patience to continue in obedience while enduring hardships until the day God fulfills those promises. That means enduring until the end of this life. We can certainly expect to experience victories and, and certain blessings along the way to encourage us, but the ultimate harvest is going to come at the end of this life. So James uses the illustration of farmers, how they plant their crops, how they wait on the early rains and the late rains to water their crops, and then finally toward the end of the year, they get the harvest. So James is using those patient farmers to illustrate how we have to be patient. We have to keep on doing what's good, keep doing what's right, trust God that uh, in the time of harvest, he's going to make things right. He's going to reverse the situation. The, the farmer doesn't allow, doesn't allow doubts and fears to cause him to faint and quit. Uh, he might be have fears presented to him that, oh, your crops are not going to come in, uh, so you might as well quit. No, he keeps working. He keeps working. He prepares his land. Uh, he plants his seed. He weeds it out. He does all the work. And he has faith that at, at the time of harvest, he's going to get a reward. And he keeps his eye on the prize. And that's what we have to do. Uh, the harvest we wait for is the coming of the Lord. That coming may be when Jesus breaks through the cloud. He may come before we die. Uh, more than likely, it's going to be uh, after we die, we go to him, okay? So whatever, either way, whether we meet him in the air, uh, when he comes, we're alive walking around, or we're resurrected from the dead to meet him. And, and at the time of death, our, our spirit man goes directly into heaven itself, into paradise to be with the Lord. The, uh, the book of Hebrews also urges faith and patience until the end with these words. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. That's Hebrews 10, 35 through 37 in the New International Version. So confidence. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, don't cast away our confidence. Confidence is a very valuable thing. It will be greatly rewarded. The, the farmer's faith is expressed or revealed uh, in, in, in their expectation and their confidence. They do all of these things on the front end, planning, uh, preparing the land and uh, cultivating, tilling the land, and then sowing the seed and then weeding and doing everything that's necessary to protect those crops so they can grow. They do that with confidence. They do it because they expect that at the end of the year, they're going to receive a great harvest. So we have to do the same thing. Like the farmer, uh, our faith must be expressed in expectation or confidence, which compels us to keep on doing good. We have to persevere and just keep doing what we know is right must not cast away our confidence and quit. 
We must refresh our faith that, uh, and our expectation or our, our confidence by meditating on the promises of God. Think about the fact that the saints are going to rule. Think about the fact that we're going to have new glorious bodies like Jesus's body that won't wear out, won't get tired, won't, tired, won't be susceptible for, uh, to disease or fatigue. Uh, we'll have super uh, superhuman bodies, perfect bodies like his, and we will rule uh, and reign with Christ forever and forever in a perfect world. That's the prize. We have to keep our eyes on that, and we have to keep ourselves encouraged in that. The word expectation means a confident belief or strong hope that a particular event will happen. And of course, when we say hope, we don't mean a wish. We mean an expectation, all right? Now, verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So James warns against harboring feelings of resentment or ill will against each other. He mentions having grudges or grumbling against each other because um, lashing out at those around us is exactly how doubt and impatience manifests itself. When we become doubtful and impatient, we become frustrated. And when we become frustrated, we tend to lash out. So James is, is telling us, maintain your confidence, maintain your faith, keep your mind on the promises, keep your eyes on the prize of God, and, uh, and don't get frustrated and begin to lash out at each other. A huge part of demonstrating faith and patience is exerting control over our emotions and, and our actions. Impatient people become irritable and, and they grumble and complain and argue and fight. And so James is advocating the maintenance of self-control under pressure, under duress even. He is urging his readers to remain calm at all times. So James is showing us what to watch out for when the pressure of suffering mounts. Watch out for irritability. Watch out for frustration. Uh, watch out that you don't begin to murmur and, and complain and grumble and lash out at each other. So by showing us where we're most vulnerable, that's what James is doing. James is arming us and helping us to watch for that, to, to strengthen and to reinforce our, our greatest areas of weakness. That's why Jesus said, watch and pray. He wasn't just talking about watch out there. He was also talking about watch in here. Watch yourself. Don't just watch what's coming at you. Watch your own emotions and watch your own feelings and keep control over that. Now, verses 10 through 11. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So when we're faced with our greatest challenges, it helps tremendously to know that someone else has gone down that road. Someone else has been faced with those same challenges and they succeeded. To illustrate his point, uh, James uses Job. Job is a, uh, the, the highest example of a person who suffered 
and was patient during that suffering. Um, he, he moves from, James moves from using this illustration of farmers to using this illustration, personal illustration of Job. And we know how Job suffered greatly. Um, we know that how he was beset by all of these troubles, the sickness, the loss of his children, um, his wife betraying him and turning on him and telling him to curse God and die. And all of these things happened to this man. The worst that can happen happened to Job. And, and uh, James is using him as an example because the outcome of Job's life was a, was a great blessing. The lesson from Job is, is that the Lord plans, his plan ends in good for those who patiently endure. So if we endure patiently, God has got a, 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 he has a blessing for us that, that that we won't have room enough to receive it. Now, a rule of thumb when battling oppressive and discouraging situations in life is to focus on the examples of the prophets. James mentions them. And Job is an exceptionally good example of that um, in a demonstration of faithfulness and strength. We can gain Great encouragement through the way uh, Job handled his suffering. We can look at him and how he stayed faithful. And then one, uh, at one point he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. So Job was uh, firmly committed to trusting God all the way through the end. And on one occasion he said, all the days of my appointed time, I will wait until my change comes. So whatever you're going through, Whatever you will go through, look to the prophets, look to Job, look to others who have suffered, maintain their faith and their commitment to God, came out on the other side and were blessed. It also helps to remember that great honor is bestowed upon those who endure trouble and affliction with, with uh, faith and patience. Uh, go through it without grumbling. Go through it without complaining. That should be our goal to Try not to murmur and, and complain, but just to honor God and bless God. Scripture plainly tells us to follow uh, the example of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's Hebrews 6 and 12. Now I'm reading verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Uh, so now James cautions us against the boastful act of swearing. There are two problems with seeking to strengthen our words with an oath, by swearing. First of all, it's a demonstration in pride. We swear that we're going to do something, then we are asserting that we have the power and the capability to do it, and that nothing or no one can stop us, prevent us from doing it. So that's pride. We don't know what we're going to be able to do, okay? So that's a demonstration of, of pride. We're warned in chapter four that we should make our promises by qualifying them with saying, if the Lord will, we will do such and such, okay? Because we cannot be certain about the future. We've already talked about that. To swear to do something is boasting in our ability that we don't possess. Secondly, 
if we establish a reputation of honesty and integrity, we won't need to strengthen our, our words with an oath. We won't need to swear because if, if we have a reputation of doing what we say, when we say something, do it. Uh, and if something happens that we can't do it, then explain why and apologize. Uh, if we have words of honesty, then we don't have to strengthen uh, our words with an oath to convince people that we are trustworthy, that what we say can be relied upon. Jesus affirms these words of James uh, in his words. Here's what he warned. He said, again, you've heard that it was said to the uh, people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Uh, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That's Matthew 5, 33 through 37 in the NIV. So uh, to boast and swear, uh, it comes from the devil. It is prideful. It is asserting that, we're, that we have power and knowledge that we don't have. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen the next minute. Uh, our heart might stop beating the next minute. We don't know. Uh, the next hour is not promised to us. Now, the very fact that a person feels the need to swear before his word is accepted implies that under normal circumstances, uh, he or she is not reliable or trustworthy. If you got to strengthen your word by swearing to somebody that you're going to do it, then it it almost implies that you don't keep your word. So to swear an oath to God or anyone else implies that we have power to perform it. And it also suggests that we are not keepers of our word. Now, verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, here James urges perseverance, tenacity, continuity in the face of suffering and trouble. Pray and keep praying, James is admonishing us to do. Don't give up. Remember James's words in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Know that God is working through your troubles. Okay, know that he is. That's what James is saying here in these verses. So persevere and keep doing what is good, even when you're going through difficult times. James instructs us to feed our joy and celebrate it with songs that praise and give thanks to God. Uh, songs of praise and songs of worship and adoration to God, it, it uh, increases our joy. It blesses us. It lifts our spirit. And so James is, is giving us a prescription on how to maintain our joy. Now, verses 14 through 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. 
So now God promises that when the elders of the church are called to pray in faith, he will hear those prayers and heal the sick person um, being prayed over and raise them up, okay? And if the sickness is due to some sin, some sick, not all sickness, but some sickness is due to sin. If the sickness is due to sin, God promises forgiveness when the sick person calls for the elders of the church and confesses those sins, asking for prayer and forgiveness, okay? So sometimes that's the missing ingredient. Sometimes people are calling for prayer and they send their way into sickness uh, and they won't confess that. They just want prayer. They want to get out of it. And James is telling us, he's including in here forgiveness because um, he's implying that some of these sicknesses are because of sin. I believe the reason that um, some people are not being healed is because they neglect to confess those sins. And and the, the next few verses here confirm that, verses 16 through 18. It says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, when we confess our sins and then pray for each other, we can see results because the prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective, James says. James is speaking specifically about the prayers of elders who are authorized to care for the flock. So although any godly person possesses the power to, to pray, any godly person possesses the power of prayer, but James is instructing us here to call for the elders of the church to pray. So obedience does make the difference. James reminds us of the power and effectiveness of Elijah's prayer, and he mentioned the fact that he was human, just like we are. He was a spiritual leader uh, with spiritual authority, but he was just as flawed as we are today. Yet he prayed and stopped the rain. For over three years, the rain stopped because he prayed. And then he prayed and started the rain up again, even though, again, he was just like us. So God promises to heal us and forgive our sins when we call for the faithful elders, confess our sins to them, and repent and have them pray in faith. Now, I'm reading verses 19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This passage makes it clear that Christians can abandon their faith. When it happens, we should seek to restore them. That's what James says. We should gently entreat them to return to the Lord, and we should demonstrate the love of Christ to them. James says, rescuing them is a matter of life and death. We may be able to save them from death, it comes from the wages of sin, both natural death and eternal death. So we are to uh, entreat them. We are to seek to restore them. 
if they wander away from the faith. People who wander from the truth fall back into their old sins and seek deeper and deeper into unbelief. The longer they stay away from God, the deeper they sink in their unbelief. Peter offers this sobering warning to backsliders, and I'm reading from, from uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Again, that's 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 in the New Living Translation. People who walk away from serving God and return to a life of sin should not be deceived into believing that they are safe. They are not safe. Peter's words and those of, of, of others warn against backsliding, and, and he warns and urges backsliders to return to the Lord. Don't stay out there. If you've fallen away from the Lord, as soon as you can, don't, don't let a, a, a minute pass without turning to the Lord. Turn back to the Lord, repent of your sins, and allow him to, to receive you back. Peter says it would be better for them if they didn't know the Lord in the first place, if they had never known the way of righteousness, than to know it and then to reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Now, this suggests that those who return to sin and don't repent will have the same or the worst fate of, uh, of unbelievers. And if you're a backslider, I'll say again, don't rest until you return to God. He loves you. He will receive you with wide open arms. Well, that brings us to the close of the book of James. I want to thank you for engaging in this uh, study with me, and I want to encourage you to join us next time for Teaching Through the Bible. Until next time, may God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. 